I love that video. Uh, and it's crazy how things work out. I've got incredibly gifted friends uh, that I steal things from all the time. And I don't always tell them I'm borrowing their stuff. Uh, and then every once in a while, you show something in church and they show up to church that day. So you may recognize some people on the patio that were also on the screen this afternoon. So, hey, it's good to be here with you guys. My name is Chris. I'm the campus pastor. Welcome to South Hills. Everybody doing okay? Yeah, uh, it's a fun day today. We've got some different stuff planned. Um, we have baptisms after service. So we're going to actually end a little bit earlier than we normally do because service is going to continue outside. So it's not a chance for you to leave and get to brunch and get your mimosas going faster. It's a chance for us to move outside and celebrate baptisms and some of the decisions that people in our church are making. Um, so I invite you guys to be a part of that. Also, one of the things I like to do is as much as possible is um, just to honor and appreciate our volunteers. Uh, everything that we do here is made possible by tons and tons of volunteers. People serve during the week to get things ready. They show up here at six in the morning uh, to unload trucks and to set up the church and the kids area. And, uh, and we couldn't do this without volunteers. And, and so there's a couple new volunteers today. I won't make them come to the front of the room like I did to Mark last week. So, uh, but uh, our good friend Ashley is volunteer for the first time at Kid Nation, which I'm super grateful for. She's the one turning bright red in the back. Uh, and then we also have a good friend, uh, my friend Steve is... Uh, uh, volunteering today. And so I just want to honor them because there is, yeah, we can clap for Steve too. He gets a little bit. Uh, it is, um, it doesn't make sense to carve time out of your already busy schedules to serve. Um, but it's one of those things that when you do it, inevitably you start to feel more full and more alive. You connect with other people and you get a sense for who God is as you serve others. And so I just want to be intentional about making sure that we honor these people. Uh, so I'm grateful for them. Uh, Angie said I would talk about the taco man next week. I wasn't planning on talking about it again, but I'm happy to because I love tacos. You guys know this about me. It's probably why you're here because you've had the taco that we have here. Uh, Lewis, uh, the taco man, is going to be back out next week, and we've only had him out when we had one service, and so it was lunchtime, and it made sense. Now, we've got two services, and so the first service ends at like 10, 10, 15, and so it's like, well, I mean, I'll eat tacos anytime. I don't have an issue with it, but I know some of you guys have specific needs, and so we asked him, and so if you guys want, I just want to make it available to you guys. The first service is going to have chorizo breakfast burritos, and second service is having lunch tacos, so so next week, it's like a choose-your-own-adventure kind of Sunday. So uh, make sure you come out for that. Um, so uh, all that to say, we've been in this series. This is the last week of this series called Overcome. We started it on Easter, um, and we've been looking at this idea of um, what does it mean for us to be able to overcome the pain or the obstacles, the, uh, the past hurts, um, the present challenges, um, insecurities, uh, all these different things that we all experience in our life. Um, sometimes we, we come face to face with those things and they feel so massive and so problematic that we don't feel like we'll ever be able to get around it or overcome them. Uh, but the reality is, and what we celebrated at Easter, is that because of the sacrifice and the love of who Jesus is and what he did on the cross and conquering death, that power that raised Christ from the dead, it says, it lives inside of us. Now, that power is in us. Um, and I don't say that because we have like this really cool like past that we don't have problems or this really cool ability that because I love Jesus, everything is going to go well for me. That would be great if that was true. It's not true. And I don't want you to hear that that's what I'm saying. But what we've seen and what we're learning is that 
because of who Jesus is, because of the way that he loves us, because he wants to be with us and his power lives inside of us as followers of Jesus, it allows us to not be defined by the problems and the obstacles and the pain that we experience in our life. It gives us the ability to uh, become more than that, to overcome that. It doesn't mean that we won't face them anymore, but it means that they don't have to define or control us. Um, And so we've been talking about this idea of overcome and uh, this last week, uh, I probably don't have to tell you guys there was a new movie that came out, The Avengers Infinity War. Has anybody anybody seen it yet? Spoiler alert. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) um, I went, uh, my family over the last few years, I've got two boys. You guys probably know this. I've got a three-year-old. He'll be three this week, actually. And then I've got one who's going to be seven in a few weeks. And so we've, or a few months. And so we've been, as the kids have gotten older, I always like superhero movies, but now I get to blame it on my kids. And so now we watch superhero movies for the kids. Uh, So anyway, so we've been watching these movies and we're excited for the new one to come out. And we decided that we wanted to be able to, my wife and I wanted to see it before we took our son to see it. Um, And uh, so we ended up getting tickets for opening night, which was not easy at the really nice theater with the reclining seats. Have you guys done that one? So that's, yeah, go that route. Uh, And then, uh, but the only seats that were available, the only tickets were available for the 1115 showing. And so I was like, man, I can do this. Like, I'm still young. I've got plenty of energy. It's going to be a fun movie. I'll just snuggle up in that leather recliner at 11.15 at night and watch an almost three-hour movie. That's, that sounds fun, right? So we go, and uh, we get settled in. And, and first of all, something happens with the screen. And so the movie started like 20 minutes late. And I didn't realize how long the movie was in general. So it literally ended. At, we got home at 2.30 that night. And I realized that I can't do that anymore. Like, I I used to be able to do that kind of stuff, uh, and, and just at a point in my life, I called a friend of mine who's one of our other, a pastor's one of our other campuses, and I was talking to him the next day, I was like, man, I made like a really bad decision last night, and then he like jumped in, and he got super concerned, he's like, oh, Chris, what did you do? And I was like, oh, no, I just went to a movie at 11.15, it, it wasn't anything that serious, uh, but it's taken me like three days to recover from this movie, so... Um, and the ending, just kidding. Uh, so I'm going to do that like 10 more times today. Uh, as we have watched these Marvel movies and the superheroes and my kids have started to love them more and they have their favorite characters. And even my wife has decided that she loves the guardians of the galaxy and Chris Pratt is very attractive. And it's like this thing with people named Chris. And so it's just like, it makes sense. Uh, our, our three-year-old is kind of like a living version of the incredible Hulk. And so it's just, we feel a connection with this Marvel universe. Uh, and, um, when they opened the guardians of the galaxy ride at Disneyland, uh, we decided, that we would go on this ride, even though I knew it was kind of like the Tower of Terror, which I'm not a huge fan of that ride. Have you guys been on these rides at all? So we wait in line to go on the Guardians of the Galaxy ride. We have a parent pass, so I can go, and then my wife can go, so she can hang out with our kids while I'm on the ride, and then I'll hang out with the kids while she's on it, and it's just, anyways. So we're up there, and the lady at the front of the line, where when I go up uh, to go in, I'm with my son, who's at uh, this time, he's six years old, and she's like, okay, you guys can go ahead. I was like, oh, actually, he's not uh, able to go. He's not tall enough. And she's like, it's okay, he can go on. But I know, like, 
he's probably not going to like this ride. And, she, and I was like, no, we don't actually have like a fast pass for him. She's like, it's okay. Like she just thinks she's being like the most helpful, friendliest Disney employee. Like I'm going to break all the rules for you. And I'm like, lady, please enforce the rules for me. I'm trying to help my child. And so she just keeps like allowing all this stuff that she shouldn't allow. And so finally I look at my son who's like, I want to go, I want to go. And I'm like, buddy, this is going to be like, this is a big kid ride. Like I'm even going to be a little bit scared to go on this ride. I don't know if you're going to like it. And I could see in his face that there was no way he was going to be convinced otherwise. So it was either tell him no and have him melt down at Disneyland or allow him to go on it and just live, uh, learn, hey, this is how life works, man. You get to pick your own adventure. And so we went on the ride and uh, while we're on the ride and it's, you go up like 10 stories and then the, the windows open up and you get this beautiful view of Disneyland and then the floor drops out from under you and then it shoots you back up and it drops you again and over and over again and at some point you throw up and then the ride ends. And so I look over because I'm screaming and I'm terrified and I don't like that sensation, but I'm in it for the Guardians of the Galaxy. And so I'm, and I look over at my son, Mason, and he is just holding on to the handles like this. <laughs> like not screaming, not having fun, not freaking out, just solid as a rock with this little look of, of fear in his eyes. And we got off the ride and he walked out. We walked out. My wife was waiting for us at the exit. We walked out and he looked like his hair was disheveled and he kind of just like, kind of just walked out. And I was like, buddy, how was it? And he was like, that was terrible. And it was like this moment of like, see, I told you, I was right. I was, which is, you know, as a parent, you just relish every one of those moments. Uh, but this ride, and, and it's weird because you go on rides like this, and I'm okay on roller coasters, but I don't like this ride, the drops of it. And, and there's other rides that other people are okay with that scare me, and there's ones that I'm okay with. We were talking earlier, have you guys ever been in the carnival where you sit in the chair? It's attached to two tiny chains, and they just swing you around at like 70 miles an hour. That's the scariest ride in the world. Like, there's nothing separating you between death except those tiny little chains. So, uh, but these, these fears that we have in our life, uh, whether they're silly things or whether they're significant things, um, whether they are really just more preferences or, or whether they're actually painful realities that we have to face, we all have fears in our life, we're talking about what does it mean to overcome fear? How does fear win? Or how can we defeat fear? Um, our fears change over time depending on our ages and our stage of life. Our fears vary from serious uh, phobias to things that are just not our preference. Like for me, one of my favorite things about going to movies is watching previews. And so I'm always afraid that I'll miss the previews. And it's like, it's not a real fear, but it's a preference. Like, I, I don't want to miss out on this thing. We're afraid of being late to dinner or a meeting. Uh, our, star, our car starts making a weird sound, and we're afraid of what that's going to cost us to get that sound to stop. Um, we're afraid of being alone or forgotten. We're afraid of not making an impact. We're afraid of losing a relationship or losing our health. We're afraid of not achieving dreams or reaching goals that we've set for ourselves, of uh, fear of the unknown. Uh, we have fears about being a good father or a good mother or husband or wife. We all have these different fears, and they, they vary from very physical things that I can point at and say, this terrifies me, to things that we just wrestle with in our minds of, am I going to have an impact? Will my kids turn out okay? 
So some of them are very practical and they look at us and they talk with us. And then some of them are more things that we just have to wrestle with in our minds. So I was preparing this week. I found this quote from Nelson Mandela. He says, I learned that courage is not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. So it's not as much about not ever being afraid. It's about uh, conquering or triumphing over fear. And we believe that there are some things in life that we can muster up the strength and overcome that fear. I can get myself in line to go on the Guardians of the Galaxy ride again. Like I could, I could do that. But there are other things that are these fears that start to seep inside of us and they start to dictate the decisions that we make and the way that we interact in relationships. And because we're afraid of losing this person, we start to control or we start to lash out or, or we start to already push them off at a distance. And so fears can have a, a significant impact in our life. And we can't get rid of every fear, but we can triumph over it. We can overcome we're going to look at a story in the book of Judges, um, and this story, well, really the book of Judges is kind of this book of cycles. So it's God's people who are in need. They have a problem, and God comes and helps them. He delivers them, and then they get healthy, and they figure it out, and they get some money in their bank account, or they get some armies, or whatever it is, and they're like, all right, cool. Thanks, God. We've got this now, and they kind of push God away, or they walk away from God, and then a few years later, they end up in a problem again, and they're like, Hey, God, it's me. I haven't talked in a while. Hope things are well. You know, and it's this cycle over and over and over again. And some of us have had that cycle in our own life of when we are in need and hit rock bottom, it's like, God, we're still friends, right? And then when things are going well, there's distance created in our, our relationship with God. And so this is what happens with Israel. And the book of Judges is full of stories that, peop that God sends people to help Israel, to deliver Israel. And this is one of those stories. So Israel at this point um, was being devastated and oppressed by the Midianite people. Every time Israel would try and get ahead, if they would plant crops or if they would try and grow their uh, livestock flocks or whatever it was, the Midianites would ride in, they would kill a bunch of people, they would steal crops and destroy the fields, they would uh, just cause problems. So Israel was just constantly being tormented by this massive uh, this power. And so we jump into this story, kind of understanding this backdrop of what it means to be afraid of this country, to be uh, caused pain by this country over and over and over again, and to not be able to see, seemingly not be able to get out of this situation. So in verse 11 of Judges chapter six, and most of these uh, verses will be on the screen as well. It says, then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer, as you guys all know. Uh, Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. So he, uh, and I grew up in North Carolina, I grew up around a lot of animals and a lot of fields. And so uh, this process, most agricultural things like this are not small things. They're not things that you can do in a small space. You need a lot of space. And so threshing wheat is a big process where you need a ton of room, but Gideon is hiding in a wine press, which is a pit in the ground that they use to crush uh, grapes to make wine. He's hiding in this, trying to do this work that he needs all this space for, but he's hiding because he's scared. He's terrified. He's trying to hide what he's doing from the Midianites. He's trying to control what's happening. 
So you get Gideon who's down hiding underground. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you, which is just like uh, funny to me. Like this angel shows up and looks at this man who's literally hiding underground. It's like mighty hero. I mean, that's something that's like sarcasm at its best is when I first read it. The Lord is with you. And then Gideon, this mighty hero says, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength that you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. And you think that Gideon was like, okay, but no, still. Verse 15, but Lord, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least of my entire family. And the Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. And so you have this story, and if you guys have been around church, or if you've grown up reading the Bible or things like that, you've probably heard of the story of Gideon, who is this mighty warrior, and we're going to read about his triumph. But what I want to make really clear, especially for people that don't know the story yet, is that Gideon was not always a mighty warrior. It's not like this mighty warrior was born with like a sword and a shield ready to conquer. Gideon was hiding in a hole in the ground. Gideon was giving God all of the excuses of why there's no way he could do the things that God was calling him to do. His life was riddled with fear, much like ours is often. And so as I've read through this story, and we'll kind of read the second half of the story in a minute, there's a few things that I've picked up about this idea of fear. Because a lot of times we look at stories, whether it's people in the Bible or even just people in our own lives, and it appears as though they have just had the ability to fight every battle. And they just, nothing scares them. Nothing throws them off. They, everything goes their way, or they're smarter than I am, or they are whatever it is. But I want to make it really clear that that's not the reality, that everybody deals with this stuff. And God still chooses to use and especially chooses to use people that are totally human just like us. So the first thing that I've realized as I've been reading through this story of Gideon and this interaction that he has with the angel of the Lord is that fear grows stronger when our trust in God falters. Our fear in our life grows stronger when our trust in who God is or what he's capable of starts to get a little bit shaky. Gideon didn't trust that God was still with his people. The angel of the Lord says, to, uh, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And Gideon's like, if he's with us, then I've got some questions. I hear what you're saying, but I haven't experienced the powerful God that my ancestors told me about. I've heard the stories but you see I'm hiding in this pit right now, right? The Gideon is struggling to believe that God and to trust that God was still this person that he had talked and he had been told about. And he didn't even trust that God knew who he was talking to. This mighty warrior thing is laughable. And the angel says, uh, go with the strength that you have. Rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. And Gideon again stops and says, I don't think you know who I am. I am the least in my family, and we are in the smallest tribe of Israel. 
Surely you've got the wrong person. So every aspect of this conversation is hitting Gideon right in this trust area where he's like, man, I don't trust that God is really who I've heard about. And I don't even trust that he actually knows who he's talking to. I think he has like the wrong number type of situation because it couldn't be me. God says, go with the strength you have, not with the strength you wish you had, not with the strength that you could build up over the next few months, but go now and I will be with you. The story goes on and uh, verse 36 will pick up. It says, then Gideon said to God, if you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, like still pretty skeptical, uh, prove it to me in this way. I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If this fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help rescue me uh, or help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that is just what happened. When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowl full of fleece water. Uh, which sounds delicious. Uh, he rings out a whole bowl of water. So he sets out this test. He's like, God, prove it. If you're going to help me, prove it. And it happens. And so then Gideon is confident. No, still not. Verse 39, then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me, which is a memory verse that we can all hold on to. I think we've all got that one memorized already. Like, please don't be angry with me, God. I've made a mistake. Uh, but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test. This time, let the fleece remain dry and the ground around it will be wet with dew. So that night, God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. And so Gideon, hears what the angel says, this mighty warrior piece, this, yes, you, even though you're the smallest and the smallest and the smallest, and yes, you can do it. And so he says, okay, prove it. And it's an interesting test that he puts forward because supposedly this small guy from this tribe of Manasseh is going to defeat the Midianites who Israel has not been able to defeat. And so to test who God is or to test what God's capable of, he says, make this sheep's wool wet and the ground dry. And then he's like, okay, now make the, the sheep's wool dry and the ground wet. It's like, man, if I don't know if God's gonna do this, I'm gonna need him to do more than like water tricks. Like I would need something more significant if I'm going to battle. And what I realized as I was reading this is that Gideon wasn't testing God's ability. He was testing himself. He wanted to know that he wasn't losing his mind. Gideon was terrified that he was hearing these things that maybe sounded awesome. Like, yeah, I want to be the mighty warrior. Yes, I want to help Israel defeat Midian. Yes, maybe I can do this. Maybe I should do this. Maybe I'm just a little bit crazy and I'm making this stuff in my, in my mind. Have you guys ever had these situations where you've had something that you wanted to do or maybe something that you've worked towards and then you've gotten really close to pulling the trigger and you're like, did I hear this right? Like, am I really supposed to do this? And you start to get a little trigger shy, like a little bit nervous about whether or not that was the right thing to do. Gideon wasn't testing God's ability. He was testing his own self of whether he was really truly hearing God correctly. Getting the ground wet or dry doesn't prove God's power to defeat an army. It proves that Gideon isn't making the conversation up in his mind. 
The second thing that I've kind of pulled out of this story this week as I've been reading it is that our fear increases not only when we don't trust in who God is, but our fear increases when we don't trust ourselves. We start to second guess. We start to ask these questions of, all right, I can do it. I'm going to go in the strength that I have. I'm going to get up out of this hole in the ground. I talk to the angel of the Lord, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to defeat Midian. And, and, man, did I hear that right? I need, like, some sort of second kind of, I need confidence that I heard the right thing. Because it's not going to go well if I made this up in my mind, and I ride out to defeat Midian. And this was all just a conversation in my mind. Even a few verses earlier, uh, Gideon says, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. And I feel like we've all been faced with these decisions, problems, dilemmas, choices, and we might have felt really confident. And as we've been on this road of preparing or working, or we've been saving up the money to make this purchase, and and then we get to uh, sign on the dotted line, it was like, is this really what I'm supposed to do? Or maybe we've been pouring into this relationship and we feel like we're in love and we're going to make this decision and we get to that point where it's time to take that next step and it's like, am I, was I, did I hear this right? Or maybe we've been in this uh, work scenario and we've been trying to put in this effort on this project to start our own kind of business and, and, and pursue this passion or this dream and we've been putting all this work in and we get to the, the, the starting line really and we're like, am I crazy for doing this? And we start to question ourselves. We lose trust in ourselves. And I feel like we all struggle with this. When we don't trust ourselves, fear begins to build inside of us. And we start to believe the fear more than we start to believe in what we've been called to. And there's a reality that we are not always the most trustworthy people. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Uh, but the story goes on. Gideon gets the army together, and it's incredible. He is able to pull together 32,000 men, which seems like a lot of people. But it says that the Midianites had 135,000 men, so almost 100,000 more or over 100,000 more. It's like, eh, those aren't great odds. Uh, and so they're getting ready, and God tells Gideon, I think you've got too many people. <laughs> and Gideon's like, really? Is that, what, is that how you would say? Like, what counting method are you using? And God tells Gideon, if you win with 32,000 people, then you will give yourself the credit. And so Gideon makes an announcement to his army. He says, all right, if anybody doesn't want to fight this battle, you can go home. And it probably feels like pretty confident, like my men, they're going to stay with me by my side. And it says that 22,000 people left. So he's left with 10,000. And he's like, Okay, God, let's see what you do now. And then God says, yeah, 10,000 still seems a little bit high for me. I think that you might still be a little bit overconfident. (laughs) And so then he does another test, and he tells Gideon, take the men to the river. And whoever, count the difference between the men that drink water by cupping it with their hands and pulling it up to their mouth versus the men that just get down on all fours and just drink straight out of the river. And Gideon's like, Okay, fine. Nobody's just going to crawl on the ground and drink. That's gross, God. I'm going to win this one. And out of the 10,000, only 300 people were germaphobes and cupped the water and drank the water out of the cup of their hand. And so then he's got 300 soldiers against the 135,000 of the Midianites. And this is when God feels like, 
all right, you're good to go now. And so any sort of confidence that Gideon had built up, any sort of, I was afraid, but I'm just going to do it and believe it. At this point, I can't begin to imagine the terror that he has. They've been trying to defeat the Midianites for years, and they couldn't do it with all of their forces. And now he's got 300 men. In chapter 7, uh, verse 9, it picks up and it says, That night the Lord said, Get up, go down to the Midianite camp, for I've given you victory over them. But if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. And I got to feel like if, if Gideon's having this conversation and God's saying, get up, go down to the Midianite camp with your 300 people. I've given you victory of, over them. But if you're still afraid to attack, and Gideon's like, yes, that one. Whatever that option is, is the one that I will take that, that choice, that road. If you're afraid to attack, go and listen to what the Midianite soldiers are saying. So Gideon crept up just as a man, a soldier in the Midianite army was telling his companion about a dream. And the man said, I had a dream and in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over and knocked it flat. And before I read on, I just want to remind you guys, Gideon is not a mighty warrior yet. Nobody knew who he was. He was the least in his family, which was the smallest tribe in Israel. So this guy is telling this person about a dream. And then it says in verse 14, his companion answered, your dream can only mean one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joah. I mean, you can picture Gideon hiding behind a tent and it's just the most ridiculous thing. God has given Gideon. Maybe there's another Gideon. Son of Joash. Well, that's a little bit harder to fight against. Victory, the Israelite victory over Midian and all of its allies. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord and he returned to the Israelite camp and very confidently shouted, get up for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. And all of his soldiers are probably like, man, he feels so confident right now. Look at how bold and courageous he is. And he just like literally, spoiler alert, like he knew how it was going to end. He got that gift. He doesn't seem all that brave anymore to us on this side. He knew the ending. He knew what was going to happen. And I think that one of the third things that I pulled from this story is that we deal with fear. There's a number of reasons, but primarily because of our desire to control the outcome overpowers our desire to trust God. We want to know what will happen after we obey, before we obey. We want to know what's going to happen after we risk, before we actually take the risk. We do the calculations. You guys have made the pros and cons lists, and it's never guaranteed but we want to know before I risk it, I want to make sure that it's actually going to pay off. I want to make sure that it's actually going to be successful. I want to make sure that it's actually worth it. Gideon had this insane gift of being able to hear the outcome and was no longer afraid. He came back super confident. That's not a gift that many of us have. That's not a gift that many of us get. 
and the situations that we're faced with and the fears that we wrestle with and the things that we feel like we want to pursue or we're called to or I want to devote myself to this relationship, but before I put in the extra energy and I work my tail off, I want to make sure that they're going to notice it and they're going to thank me for how much I've put in the effort. I want to put in the extra effort with my kids and I want to take them on this vacation and I want to make sure that they tell their grandkids about this vacation. (laughs) Before I take them on this flight, I want to make sure that they're not going to scream and that they remember it forever. There are two, but I think it's possible. We want to know that whatever it is, and, and whether it's silly things or whether it's serious things, we want to know that when we put in this risk, this effort, when we step out and we're facing this unknown, we want the guarantee that it's going to be worth it. And we don't get that guarantee most of the time. But we have the sense of what we're called to. We have the sense of what God is inviting us to do or to believe. We want the outcome guaranteed before we obey, before we trust. As I was writing this, I couldn't help but think of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. The trilogy, the Indiana Jones trilogy, we don't count the fourth one, but the trilogy is just, it's incredible. I showed it to my son when we were camping a couple weeks ago for spring break. We were camping and we watched a movie. That's how camping we were. Uh, and, uh, and we watched it and there's this moment at the end, and I can spoil this one if you haven't watched it because it's been like 25 or 30 years, but where he has to take this step of faith and he thinks he's going to fall into this chasm. Anyways, watch the movie. Um, we want the outcome guaranteed before we obey. We want a guaranteed outcome before we trust, before we try, before we spend ourselves. I would start that business if I knew it was going to succeed. Yeah, I'll cash in my 401k to launch this investment if it's a guaranteed win. I want to know that it's worth the risk, worth the work. I will try counseling again if it for sure will pay off. We always want to know that it's guaranteed to work. We start to have this fear that builds up because what if, what if, what if? God doesn't promise these guarantees. He says, I will be with you. Go in the strength that you have. Trust me, let's go together. This is the invitation that God is over and over again inviting us to. People talk about faith a lot of times and different church backgrounds talk about great faith and small faith and strong faith and weak faith. And we talk about whether you don't have enough faith for different things. And I heard somebody say a few years ago, and I don't know who originated this, but they said the opposite of faith isn't doubt. That's what we would assume, that either I have a ton of faith or a ton of doubt. The opposite of faith is actually sight. It's guaranteed. The opposite of faith is knowing what's going to happen, knowing the outcome. Because if you doubt, you still don't really know. (laughs) And we all have doubt, and doubt in and of itself isn't a bad thing. Questions are good and healthy and helpful. But the opposite of faith is seeing, is knowing. It didn't take Gideon that much faith at that point to ride into camp and defeat the Midianites because he saw He knew, he heard what was going to happen. And the reality for all of us is that this idea of fear, it, it builds inside of us when we don't trust who God is. It builds inside of us when we don't trust ourselves and what we believe to be true. 
And it builds inside of us when we want a guaranteed outcome before we expend the effort or the energy. But the reality is that fear in and of itself is a liar and it constantly is lying to us in two ways. One, it gets us to believe things about ourselves that are not true. It, it tells us that we're broken, that we're shameful, that we're less than, that we can't do it. We're not smart enough. We're not strong enough. We're not worthy or capable or forgivable. Fear lies to us over and over and over again. And we start to believe these things about ourselves and it changes the way that we view ourselves. We start to buy into these lies. And the second thing is that fear tells us lies about other people and about who God is. It starts to fill our mind with these lies that God doesn't care about you. It doesn't matter what that pastor said. You are beyond any sort of saving. You've done too much. Or maybe God's not actually good. He doesn't care about you. He isn't actually with you in the good and the bad. He's not a good father like some of these songs that we sing. We sing about being a child of God. God doesn't think you're a ch his child. He doesn't care about you. These are the lies that fear says to us about other people, about who God is, about the people around us. They can't forgive you for those mistakes. Fear is lying constantly to us. And so we have to learn how to trust God and how to trust ourselves. And I'm going to wrap it up here really quickly. This idea of what does it look like to trust in who God is, is a journey. It's not a switch. It's not a finish line. It is a journey of continuing to trust. I've been reading a lot about the life of Corey Ten Boom. I talked about her a few months ago, uh, maybe a month ago, but I read this this week. She said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Don't be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Essentially saying, if you really know who God is, if you really trust who God is, he is who he says he is, then you don't have to be worried about the unknown aspects of your future because you know that God is good and he is powerful and he is with you and that he is for you and that he can forgive the mistakes that you've made and he can help you overcome those habits and addictions and things like that. But what happens is that fear starts to eat away at what we believe to be true about God. This is what happened in the Garden of Eden when Satan talks to Eve and he starts to just question did he really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Which he knew isn't what God said. But he starts just to put in like a little bit of doubt. Is he really good? Is he really giving you everything that you want everything, or everything that you need? God does see us as we truly are. When God showed up to speak to Gideon, hiding in the wine press, God wasn't wrong. He truly believed that Gideon was the mighty warrior. He may not be in that moment, but God saw Gideon as he truly was intended to be. And fear tells us lies about who we are. There's these verses about God's character and there's these experiences that we've had in our own life of who God is or people that we know of who God is that can remind us of this. There's a slide with a, a handful of verses on it and I didn't want to read all of these. You're welcome. Uh, and so uh, you guys can write some of these down. You guys can take a picture of this. But these are all verses that talk about God's character and God's power and the way that he wants to live for you. 
That's not the right way to say it. He wants to be with you. He has promised to be with us in these situations. So these are verses that we can hold on to to remind ourselves that we can trust God in the face of an unknown future. The second aspect is learning how to trust ourselves. And there's two different ways, primary ways that we can do this. Because like I said, I am a mess. And so there's aspects of who I am that I will still make the wrong decision frequently. Uh, And so how do I learn to trust myself? There's two ways. One is by having community, having friendships of people that know me well enough and that I've said, hey, please let me know when I'm being crazy. Please let me know when I need to straighten some things up. Please let me know if it seems like I'm getting loose in the turns or whatever it is. And there's an aspect for each of us that we need to have friendships and relationships like that because it allows us to walk in confidence and not in fear because we know we've set up safeguards in our life. We're going to be talking uh, or we're going to be starting groups uh, this next month. We've been working on finding some host homes. We're going to be starting growth groups uh, in May. And if you guys don't have friendships or if you're looking to build a community like that of people that you can trust and that you can talk about the realities of life with and what does that look like to, to go to work every day as a follower of Jesus and to be married and also and how do we balance that? How do we integrate that? And the second thing of learning to trust ourselves is by understanding what God says to us and about us. This largely comes into reading through the scriptures. These are powerful truths about who God is and who we are in him. That the more we begin to understand and become familiar with these things, we can say, hey, I've got this great idea. And then realize, based on what we know, who we know God to be and what he's calling us to do, like, well, maybe that's not that great of an idea. I could save a whole lot of money, but I don't know if that's the most, uh, if I could have my integrity if I go down that route. We start to be able to balance these things out. We're starting a series next week that's focused on how do we hear God's voice? How do we know what he's calling us to do or inviting us to do? How do we... Is it an audible, booming voice from the sky? Is it a dream? How do we hear God's voice? We're going to be talking about this over the next few weeks. But there's a reality for us that Scripture is one of the primary ways that we're reminded of who God is and that we can trust him and of who we are and that we can begin to trust the decisions that we make as we try and align those with what God's called us to. There's one more verse I want to read. It's in John 14. 27, and I'll close with this. It says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be afraid. This is Jesus talking before he uh, ascends to heaven. He says, my peace I leave with you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. troubled. Don't let them be afraid. And it's like, well, it's easy for you to say, you're leaving. I'm still here facing the day-to-day and the challenges to come. But there are these promises and there's these invitations from Jesus. And one of the things that's important, and we talk about this sometimes, but I want to make sure that we talk about when, when we read the Bible, when we read verses like this and promises that Jesus made, there's ways for these to be different than just a Bible verse on a screen. There's ways for us to believe this for ourselves. And so 
Um, I rewrote it a little bit. It's not the Chris translation of the Bible. But if I was going to read this promise from Jesus for myself, I would say it this way. I have the peace of Jesus, which is far better than what the world offers. And so my heart is not troubled or afraid. Or my heart doesn't have to be troubled or afraid because I have the peace of Jesus. It is a greater peace than anything I could deal with, anything I could interact with in any other way. So these verses are not only just, they're not information. They're things that are true about who God is and and what we can believe and hold on to as followers of Jesus. I would love for us to read this together. Can you guys do that with me? Use your inside voices, please. Just kidding. So I have the peace of Jesus, which is far better than what the world offers. And so my heart is not troubled or afraid. Let's read it again. I have the peace of Jesus, which is far better than what the world offers. And so my heart is not troubled or afraid. When you go into work tomorrow, when you get home from work and have to step back into a home that's filled with chaos or pain or stress, when you have to meet up for your family reunion and see them for the first time, when you're going to the doctor's office to find out the results from the test, when you're dreaming and planning about launching a new business opportunity or or pursuing a passion, I have the peace of Jesus, which is far better than what the world offers. And so my heart isn't troubled. It's not afraid. This is the truth that I get to live in. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, fear is one of these things that uh, is difficult to talk about because we can't remove it from our lives. It will never fully be gone. And so we can only remind ourselves of how to approach it, of how to battle it. And so God, this week, as we go about our everyday lives, Would you remind us of the importance of trusting in you? Because when we trust in who you are, fear cannot get a hold of us. The unknown does not have to terrify us. The risks seem less scary because we know who you are. We know your character. And God, would you help us be in relationship with other people? Would you help us understand what your word says so that we can begin to have confidence in who we are? That even though it might seem crazy, we believe that you love us. Even though it might seem improbable, we believe that you have forgiven and love and accept and see value in even who we are at our worst moments. So would you be with us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.